Oh, good day, everyone, and welcome to the final edition of Weekend Wrap for 2021, the grand final edition, of course. It's been run and won by the Demons in uh, a pretty good game of footy, even though it was a blowout at the end. So to talk all about it, let's get started, shall we? G'day everyone and welcome to the grand final edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast of course. Great to see everyone along in Discord and also on YouTube. Don't forget if you want to get around the chat tonight uh, there'll be a bit of space for that so get your hand up in the live studio audience on Discord and we'd be happy to have you on board and joining me for our last edition for 2021. Nikki, how are you? <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I can't you believe made we've made it, through a, made it through a full year. I know, and amazing. This year. Amazing, right? And Macca, how are you going, Mac? Oh, flying high as usual, mate. In good form. <laughs> He's had some like, chicken, Chef. He's all good. It sounds like it's a good thing that this is the last one because you guys are just sort of crawling to the line, are you? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm, in good, I'm in good shape. Nicky's half dying, apparently. <laughs> apparently, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we did uh, run through some uh, medical issues prior to the cars going live. <laughs> Apologies for that, those that yeah. were listening in the studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody viruses. Oh, I thought you covered about half of the medical known illnesses. <laughs> nah, there's way more than that. <laughs> Look, as I said, thanks to everyone who's joined us on Discord and also on YouTube. Um, plenty of room for a chat tonight, so don't be shy. Get amongst it on Discord if you want to share your thoughts with us. Uh, and speaking of sharing thoughts, uh, grand final run and one, uh, and my, um, not my tip, but my favoured team uh, got up in the end. A pretty powerful display, Macca. Yeah, very powerful display. Um it was a, actually a, a strange game in some ways because Wasn't it was it? a game of massive, massive major momentum swings, not yeah. like little ones. Um, and, you know, when the, the game started in the first quarter, you thought, well, Melbourne are just going to kick uh, the Bulldogs off the park. Bulldogs uh, respond in the second quarter. And then um, after half time, you think early in the piece that the, uh, they're going to get uh, Melbourne are going downhill. They're definitely going to go under. They're about five or six goals down. Yep. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, Melbourne really get really really got going. And wasn't it something like sixteen goals to one thereafter? And uh, uh, it's just an unbelievable finish by Melbourne. Just, yeah. And they were so and they were so good. And it, look, they are very very deserved premiers. They had a very very good year. Um, I just have to say the Crows, of course, we did we did beat them. <laughs> um, and but you know, outstanding year for Melbourne, uh, and I think very well deserved premiers. Yeah, I think so too. What do you reckon, Nick? Well, for me, up until I think the last two minutes of the third quarter, 
that was the grand final I was really looking forward to. And we got it, you know. Um, as I said, you know, these are the two most attacking sides really in the competition. And that's what we got. And as Maka was right, those massive swings back and forth. And I think if they hadn't have got those last couple of goals in like the last minute or two minutes, I think the last quarter might have been slightly different. But I think that just broke the Bulldogs. And then when they kicked that first one, it was just like floodgates open. And I was like, okay, I'm bored in this last quarter. Three <laughs> great, goals, great for the Melbourne fans. Three goals in the last 50 seconds of that third yeah. quarter. It was just yeah. some of the best centre clearance work you'd ever see. And we'll go into it more detail. Let's not waste our bullets too early. Uh, obviously, the only game to uh, review this week is the grand final, of course. So why don't we just get straight into it? Melbourne 21-14-140, beating the Dogs in the end by 74 points, if you don't mind, 10-6-66. As we mentioned, massive momentum swings during the the game, um, but Melbourne, when it mattered, and they've been the best third-quarter team all season, and uh, boy, did they turn it on after half-time. It was an incredibly powerful performance, and... For mine, there are a few people, uh, well, a few players, I should say, on the Melbourne side that just gave you the impression that there was no way that they were going to lose that game without a big fight. And uh, after halftime, they just stepped it up and uh, the Bulldogs could not go with them. I think we actually, it was very interesting watching them warm up out on the ground and when they were standing there. And even that vision from the room and the big smiles on the faces and the congratulations on the Bulldogs players, even before the game started, I was like, you guys are in a bit of trouble here. And they were in that first quarter. And I, and to me, it just, it reminded me very much of the Crows women's that they seem to have played their grand final the week before. And they would, they just kind of thought it was going to happen not understanding that, you know, a grand final, you've really got to step it up. And Melbourne showed that they did that in the first quarter and they they missed some goals they bloody shouldn't have. So, and I think if that, if they'd made those, I don't think we would have got the Bulldogs back in the game. The Bulldogs then managed to remember um, how to play football in the second quarter. But you're right. They were just so powerful in the, in that last half of the third quarter and then into the last. You mentioned that second quarter there, Nikki. That was a, uh... An interesting quarter. That was just Bont at his very, very best, Bont and Pally. Uh, oh, uh, yes. It was it, it was a man taking the whole game by the scruff of his neck and saying, we are going to win this bloody game. And he was he was outstanding in that quarter. I'm thinking at, uh, going into the break at half time, this is Bont's uh, medal to win, you know, probably even if they lose. But uh, I've got to say, after half time, Hats off to Oliver. He actually uh, manned up on Bont and uh, kept him to a moderate second half while playing a very good second half himself. And he would have been a uh, a pretty good candidate for the medal if it hadn't have been for some uh, Greek uh, name bloke called Petraka, who absolutely played an absolute belter. And if you ever look at his stats quarter by quarter, Petraka, he was just good every quarter. But, uh, gee, some quality stuff came out in the second half. I think you missed a couple of unsung heroes for the Bulldogs in that second quarter. One was Adam Trelaw. I thought he played a really good first half in general. And his second quarter, getting on the end of it twice and uh, picking up a few touches, I thought he was good. 
the other one that I thought was a real driver for the Bulldogs was uh, Liberatore. Um, he started getting his hands on the ball first and uh, he's a real catalyst for them and uh, uh, I, I thought he was a driver Bontempelli certainly was powerful and, and got a lot of it and uh, really put the, the team on his shoulders uh, but I, I actually felt it started with uh, Liberatore in the middle, Mac, to be honest in that second quarter Oh no! Full credit, be, and it's one of those things, isn't it? That uh, the guy that does all the hard work doesn't get a lot of the credit. Uh, some of the Bont stuff was. That's uh, how I feel about this podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but we give you the credit, so <laughs> shush. I wasn't oh, talking about so me. Too. I was talking about you guys. We don't do any. We don't do any hard work. (laughs) I nearly swore. I nearly swore. Then we do. Uh, You know. Um, Yeah. yeah, No. You're quite right, though. Uh, He is. I always tend to think of him as Liberace instead of Liberatore. No, he he really is a a key to them uh, going well, isn't Mm. he? Because he does get the very very hard ball and and somehow finds a, a body to give it to. And if it doesn't, if, you know, if it's not the, really the right one, they move it around very quickly anyhow and get it out. Uh, the Bont, yeah, I suppose the Bont looked really spectacular because he did get some of those from Liberatory or from others via uh, Liberatory. But, you know, he did look powerful in that second quarter and um, and that's what really catches the eye, I suppose. But you're quite right. There's a lot of, a lot of other people that go into uh, making a quarter successful. Um, for Law's two goals in... They were about two goals in two minutes, I reckon. Yeah, about that. Uh, yeah, he got those first two, and that, and they were. That's what they weren't doing in the first quarter. They were waiting for the ball to come to them, and and they were tapping it down. They were doing the right things in their forward line when they were getting it in there in the first quarter, but they were then waiting back too much and waiting for the ball to come to them instead of leading in. Whereas those two goals from Trelaw were him at the feet of the contest, getting it and then just putting it on his boot. And he does know where the goals are. Um, just on your Liberatore point, Fane, I thought it was very interesting because you kind of started to see him go missing about halfway through that third quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when that Bulldogs got the run. And then in the last quarter, he just didn't have anything well, some, at something all. Else, something we else happened. Something else happened halfway through that third quarter, and that was that Jackson went into Ruck and absolutely yeah. turned the centre bounce uh, attendances on their head. And if you'll notice, uh, if you have a chance to look at some replays or whatever, the way that Melbourne moved the ball out of the middle is that they just pushed the ball forward. And if you notice, Oliver and Petrarca instinctively moved the ball to the to the to the offensive end of the pack, knowing that one of their players is going to be there. They, they are always running forward. And as soon as Jackson got on top and they were able to get a little bit of first service, the first movement was always forward. And I distinctly recall at least two of those last three goals in the, in the, uh, in the minute before three-quarter time. Both times it was just the ball shuffled to the front of the pack. Uh, someone would run on and then there'd be a chain of handballs. And the one that Oliver kicked the goal in particular... Um, was um, exactly that, just moving the ball forward. And it was pointed out on one of the shows, it might have even been this morning, um, that 
at no stage did the Bulldogs look to hang a man back on that defensive side. They all Liberatore was playing on that defensive side and he kept getting sucked into the ball, sucked into the contest and leaving all that space behind. And uh, Melbourne, because they were actually able to get first use, um, they were just putting the ball into that space and running onto it. And it was just that's unstoppable. A very, that's a very, very astute comment. The whole thing uh, started with Luke Jackson, as you say, because I've got that comment written down here to say. Sorry, uh, mate. And you've done it all. And no, you've done it all, and it's, uh, you're 100% right. And particularly in that uh, little burst of uh, the quick three goals, we're... Uh, exactly as you described it, you know, just uh, players running ahead, wait, they expecting the ball to come there. Uh, they, it was interesting that the uh, bulldog side, they they obviously can read Gorn a lot better, but they had yep. no idea how to read Luke Jackson, no idea whatsoever, and he they was had, just put. And they had, had a, a second plan for Gorn, didn't they? They did. They had it absolutely planned for Gorn, and uh, Luke Jackson to have a second record of his quality. They're pretty. They're, they've got a pretty astute uh, selection team. People who draft because to get him, they took him pretty early. Been and a lot of people thought, "Gee, that's too high for him." It was a bit of a reach, yeah. And, and they thought the same about Pickett as well. And uh, you know, again, the Melbourne have been proved right, and the critics have been proven wrong. But you're quite right about that. That was a very, very uh, big factor in the whole thing. Uh, the other one that I thought was instrumental in that third quarter um, that really epitomised that feeling that I got watching the game that the Melbourne boys had just kind of steeled themselves and thought, no, nah, we're not going to roll over, was Gus Brayshaw on a wing. I thought he was outstanding. Some of the efforts that he put in um, and some of the hits that he took and some of the hits that he dished out, I just thought he was uh, an extreme catalyst for them on the outside and uh, really set a bit of a tone uh, for them in terms of, you know, saying to his teammates, come on, we're not out of this yet. We've just got to keep doing what we're doing. And I, I thought his game was outstanding as well and a bit under, unsung. Well, I haven't seen him play a game like that for being a record for about two or three years. Uh, I think it was about three years ago he had a very good season and, uh, and I think he's been reasonably moderate in recent times. But... Um, yeah, oh, I thought he played an excellent game, a really yeah. excellent game, and then, uh, and by his own standards, a very courageous game. Yeah, and, you know, uh, he spoke this morning about uh, having a role change in the last year or so, going from an inside mid to an outside player um, and having to sacrifice a little bit of his own game for the for the betterment of the team. And, um, you know, I, I just felt like his courage and his commitment uh, to the contest was... Uh, was excellent when it needed to be, and a lot of Melbourne players were excellent when they needed to be. Um, and whereas the Bulldogs players, as soon as they were challenged, I, the, this is, I've always thought this about the Western Bulldogs and and uh, teams co- coached by Beveridge is that they're very they run very high on emotion, and when they get a bit of um, forward momentum. They run really high, but they're, they're quite susceptible to momentum changes. And they tend to... I, I noticed them drop their heads quite early in the last quarter. Um, and they started not chasing and they really... that they, they go, I mean, I know that Melbourne really poured it on, but they didn't offer any resistance once that momentum swing occurred. And I think it it's down to how the two teams prepared. And I... I 
I do think that the Bulldogs are susceptible to holding them up and actually meeting them front on, which is what happened in the first quarter when Melbourne just yep. applied that extreme pressure. And it happened again in the third quarter when Melbourne got on top in the middle and they started to break even on contests around the ground. The Bulldogs, all of a sudden, you could almost feel them say, oh, hang on a minute, it's not going to be as easy as what we thought after we got in front. Yeah, well, I think progressively, of course, uh, as the margin uh, blew out, I thought the efforts by the Bulldogs got lesser and lesser. There's no doubt about that. Um, And I think in grand finals, there is that uh, susceptibility to that. When you're in a situation, it's okay if you're two or three goals down and, you know, you're scratching it out and you're still in there. But when there's this momentum swing like Melbourne had and it was just like a steam train running over with a man trying to stop it yeah. and uh, no chance. And that looked like the, the Bulldogs were starting mentally to think that that actually supports what you said. And uh, I think their efforts, uh, they would have thought they were trying 100%, but they looked like they were going about 80%. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of credit. Um, Nick has gone to a guy who reportedly will be in charge of our strength and fitness next year um, in Mr Burgess. And uh, uh, there's been more than a few nods to him in uh, post-match um, uh, reports and the players themselves as well credit him with uh, making them feel fit and strong and uh if he does end up coming to the LA Crows, uh, as the report suggests, due to family reasons, uh, massive, massive boost to our club uh, as we rebuild. Caroline, oh. Wilson, yeah, Caroline Wilson said it's an absolutely a done deal. It was done. He reckoned, she said it was done back in March. So it was a Mac. Uh, Mac. I, I threw it to Nikki then because you were dominating as usual out of the midfield, and I wanted Nick to get a little bit of outside ball. I've just given her a nice little handball out of the pack, Andrew Jarman style. And he's just, yeah, and he's just run through and nicked it. Nikki, go oh, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Nikki. I'll just put Macca on <laughs> virtual mute. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, now, now you've upset Scoot. <laughs> oh, Scoot's very sensitive. It's all in good fun, mate. Relax. <laughs> no, I, well, I don't want to count as you can fall the hatched, but. There's been those rumours for a very long time about um, Burgess coming back, and that's the one thing that we've really kind of talked about where we're lacking is that extra bit of that fitness and that hardness that we need and what's kind of taken away from previous years uh, where we've had some good players, et cetera, and things like this. So, I mean, if it is true... Fingers, toes, legs, arms crossed. Absolutely massive. That'd be massive good for you, Nick, us. over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that there. <laughs> now we've just uh, done it. Nick's just done a Jake Kelly sideways kick to you, Matt. Go. Now, what I was going to say is that uh, <laughs> Caroline Wilson said that it has been 100% done. It's a, that there was a. A deed of understanding signed in March and that uh, the family's over here already and that uh, he, it's she saying it's 100% done and Burgess will be with the Crows next year. Well, it's for family reasons. His children are over here. I'm not sure about the underlying situation there, but we don't need to know. Um, you know, Melbourne came out very early in the piece this year and said that they... Uh, 
support him in whatever he ends up having to do and if that means uh, coming back to South Australia for family reasons then they'll be supportive of that and I think that's probably the biggest indicator in my book that uh, he's on his way. We didn't replace uh, Nick Haas uh, with anybody. Port have already filled their uh, books in terms of their high performance um, manager so uh, I'd be extremely surprised if he doesn't come across and you know one of the things that really struck has struck me this year about Christian Petrarca but it struck me again uh, even with his, I don't know whether you remember his first goal of the night his ability off one foot to just absolutely power his leg through the ball with no momentum and kick the ball 50 meters is amazing his his lower body strength and his core strength um, is so impressive and there's a few of them like Clayton Oliver's a, a bit slighter but he still has that core strength and that ability to move through traffic and not get moved off the ball and I think that's a key element um, that we've been missing in our own midfield which allows us not to get separate separation and to actually be constructive out of contest so I, I, I can't say highly enough of how much I'm looking forward to seeing Burgess work with our young lads. You talk about core strength and uh, Oliver. I can I can remember one uh, clearance that he got there where the ball had been tapped to him, and he was being held by two players. I don't know yep. how he got the ball down onto his foot and kept yep. it forward. Yeah, I remember just an that. Amazing clearance, amazing clearance. And as you say, it's just sheer core body strength. It is. Yep. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, look through some uh, some team stats shall we because that's what we do isn't it that's what we do um and it was reasonably even uh 366 disposals to 379 in the dog's favor um both kick to handball ratios pretty similar um but inside 50s look at the difference there 60 pardon me 64 to 49 one of the things that um Petrarca said was quite interesting um after i think it might have also been this morning that in that second quarter, they got too careful, and uh, you know, and I guess that's a bit of a danger when you've uh, built up such a, a lead so early in a game. You almost go into protection mode, and they did go into their shells in the second quarter. They weren't as dynamic, Melbourne, and uh, that allowed Bulldogs, who also have an impressive midfield, to take control. And um, you know, that that was the the difference when Melbourne switched back on in the third. That they kind of threw caution to the wind a bit and got attacking again. But uh, um, certainly through that second quarter, they, uh, by their own admission, was were a bit uh, cautious. But when you look at that inside 50 count, Macker and Nicky, off similar disposal counts, you just understand how direct uh, and how effective um, Melbourne were with ball in hand. Uh, also, efficiency inside 50, 35 shots from 64 inside 50s. The Bulldogs only had 17 shots at goal from... 49 inside 50s so um the bulldogs i don't know how it looked to you guys but the bulldogs entries for mine didn't look anywhere near as polished or um direct they couldn't use norton um shashi after a decent start sort of fell out of the game english didn't really have much of an impact they didn't really seem to have any direct avenues to goal apart from bontempelli when he was down there well, that's 100% right. Uh, and they, the ball wasn't being, in the main, delivered uh, lace out to the players as well. Um, if you look down the other end, you had uh, 
uh, Fritz in particular was getting some very nice uh, kicks given to him, passes yep. given to him. Yep. Um, and he had um, the distraction of uh, Big Ben Brown, who has been a, was a you know an unwanted at North Melbourne, uh, not wanted at all, and yet here he is, he's been a premiership player. Having those the, the contrast of those two, one huge and tall and and does like a leader himself, and Fritz is a a very strong mark for a guy his size, but very good on the lead as well, and a beautiful yeah. kick for goal. Uh, it just worked out to be... In fact, they were so good, they didn't leave many crumbs for the little fellas, did they? No, because well, I was fairly quiet, although defensively worked really hard. Um, but uh, the thing I like about Fritch uh, and that whole situation is the amount of times they put the ball to his advantage. Um, some of the kicks to Bailey Fritch were outstanding because they basically gave his defender no no chance, I think. At one stage, I think in the far, in the final quarter, Eastern Wood was on Fritch, and he didn't have a chance because they were just putting it in the perfect spot to him every time. Oh, absolutely. Good on but you, it Nick. Was... Nick's just chopped hey. out. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it's very interesting that they refer to him as like a mid-sized forward, but I think the way he plays, he plays as a tall forward. He's got very long arms. Um so even if he, he doesn't have the physical height, those like Ben Brown, those are his arm length actually makes it quite hard for defenders to play against him. And yeah, and you're spot on with the way those deliveries were coming in. The Bulldogs were very crow like in that they were trying to bomb it in too deep. And it was yeah. like, did you guys forget everything that you learnt how you played against Port in the prelim? Yeah. To get away from Alira Lear, that you have to bring it in closer. And they just couldn't do it. And I thought it was very telling, actually, Caleb Daniels, like his first couple of possessions, kicking into the man and the mark or, you know, keeping another man, turnovers, everything else. They just did not cope with that pressure that goes up an absolute notch in a grand final. Yeah. And even when they got uh, on top in the second quarter, it was really on the back of some good crumbing and uh, it wasn't their key forwards that got them back in the game by any stretch. And... I felt like they didn't exploit Norton well enough. They allowed him to uh, tussle with May pretty much all night. Um, you know, Jakey Lever didn't have a big impact on the game, but they didn't really seem to want to drop the eyes too much and offer up those uh, those shorter um, hit-ups. They were happy to, as you say, Nicky just chuck it in deep and hope for the best. And, um, you know, Stephen May, a, a credit again to Burgess. I don't know how many people... Uh, read the report that May played with a six centimeter tear in his hamstring, um, which oh, he was not bending over. With with the first, um, I'll leave that one there, Nick. Uh, with the with the medical guys at Melbourne basically working with him every day for two weeks um, to make sure that he could play, um, but he he was pretty solid, pretty solid against uh, the Bulldogs forwards and. Um, Credit to him, Lever, and, and the rest of the defenders down there for keeping Norton quiet because, as we know, Norton can turn the game on his head very quickly. Yeah, I didn't think the Bulldogs uh, had a very good forward structure at all, though, Fina. Like, when they played against Port Adelaide, there was a very, very uh, deliberate structure where yeah. uh, two two forwards would stay together, one to block Lear Lear and the other one to be the marking forward. Um I couldn't work out what they were trying to achieve up forward they, because they uh, firstly didn't set up as any 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 
well, in any fashion that looked like it was going to be a winner. And uh, and then secondly, the ball just bobbed in there just far too often. Yep. Uh, a couple of things out of the chat. Um, Bobby Brady reckons it finally looked like he was out of his depth. I didn't think so at all. I thought I thought he was very good. Uh, Jack Finey. The other one, uh, Vardy asking whether the dogs just ran out of gas. Look, it kind of looked that way, but they had a two-week break. Uh, they should have been as fresh as they were ever going to be, and under normal circumstances, you know, the team outside of the top four does struggle in in, in that situation because they have played the extra game, but. I don't know whether they can actually point to that as any sort of uh, reason uh, under the circumstances of this year. Um, it looked to me, um, as I said, like the emotion ran dry and they had nothing left. Well, you know, they can't use uh, fitness as, as any excuse, man, because they did that, did it very, very hard for three weeks. And yet on the third week, they absolutely obliterated Port Adelaide. And then, as you said, then they've had a week to rest, uh, to refresh themselves. Yeah. So they should have felt very good about themselves. They've they've won three in a row. They've been tough. They've been hard. They've done it well, uh, and we're getting better with each game. And you would have thought that that, and and you actually tipped them on that basis. So the fact yep. that you thought they'd be be primed, and that was a very reasonable thought that they'd be primed for the grand final. Yeah. The the scribes were a little bit worried about Melbourne that they'd only played one game in four weeks, and this is uh, that they, they could might not be match hardened enough. But uh, it turned out to be absolutely the opposite. That uh, so that bulldogs can't use fitness as an excuse, and they can't use the, the fact they played three weeks in a row as an excuse. They did have the week off. It just was a simple case that Melbourne were too good. Yeah, and I think that that's why I'd sort of reached the conclusion about the Bulldogs running on emotion because I I feel like that's the way Beveridge coaches. You know, he likes to build up that us versus them mentality and, uh, you know, he likes to have them backs to the wall and all that sort of stuff and it's all very well and good when things are falling your way but I feel like um, uh, Melbourne were more focused on... Uh, trusting their own abilities and trusting each other's abilities. Um, you know, they've uh, Goodwin and his team have developed a very selfless kind of culture down there now where they play for each other and they take, uh, you know, they celebrate each other's uh, victories and, and whatnot. And I just feel like uh, the relaxed attitude that Simon Goodwin took to them um Stood them in good stead to not drop their heads when things were going bad and to remain confident in their ability to come back. Whereas when the Bulldogs were headed, um, I feel like that that sucked them of any emotion that they would have needed to make any sort of final quarter comeback. And you're right there about the way that Melbourne play that team structure and the way that he's had that, so when he takes players off, he's putting players of almost equal quality on in those positions so that they're not losing anything. And I think that's where the Bulldogs have fallen down is because they play on that emotion. And, yes, they've got some great players and everything else, but they've also got some ones that are very up and down. And that just didn't work for them. I mean, that first quarter, they just completely forgot how to play football. He obviously gave it to them at quarter time because they came out and was like, no, 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 this is how we play football. They then 
you always knew Melbourne were going to challenge them a little bit in the third. They kind of got a bit of momentum. Melbourne kind of hung around and then they just went bang, 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 bang. And it just broke the Bulldogs. And it's because they do play on that emotion more than they play on their structure. Yeah. That I think that's that's entirely where it came down to. Uh, uh, that's what I think, um, Nick. Um, stoppages, probably where the game was won and lost in the end. Hitouts 47-30 to 30 in Melbourne's favour. Clearances 44-33. In Melbourne's way, including 19 to 11 in the centre and 25-22 around ground. I don't think I've ever seen so many goals correct directly from centre clearances, um, not just in a grand final, but any bloody game. It was just insane the efficiency and the and and the way they were able to break clear uh, through the middle there. So and that solves. I mean, imagine having three goals kicked against you in a grand final in 50 seconds when you've been leading. You know, ten minutes ago, quite comfortably, and thinking maybe you know we're a, we're a chance here. Um, possessions, contested possessions, one fifty two, one forty nine, uncontested two thirteen to two twenty seven. Um, turnovers relatively even. You can see the, uh, the respective heat maps there. Melbourne uh, dominant in the middle of the ground. The Bulldogs sort of pushing from half back a little bit more. Um, what have we got uh, aerially? Uh, surprisingly, uh, the Bulldogs seventy-six to sixty-eight, but it was Mark's inside fifty that mattered. Seventeen to four, you guys. Seventeen to four. Um, and when you're talking about, you know, Shaki and Norton and English up there, that that just shows how well uh, the Melbourne defence counted uh, their tools, but also how haphazard and disorganised the Bulldogs were coming forward. And I, th- I put that, that down. You, Maka, you made a comparison with the Port game previously. I, th- I don't think Port were able to apply as much pressure to the Bulldogs' midfield as what Melbourne were able to do when, when the Bulldogs had the ball. And I think that contributed heavily to the quality of their forward 50 entries. There's no doubt you're 100% right on that, Fien. Yeah, no, Port... Port didn't put very much pressure at all on Melbourne's midfield. So, um, uh, sorry, on the Dogs' uh, midfield that in yeah. that particular game. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they got so blistered. Um, yeah. Yeah, you got, look, I think, you know, there's no doubt to win these big finals, you have to win the midfield. There's no doubt about that. Yep. Um, any other stats of any interest? Tackles are fairly in, uh, equal. Tackles inside 50 were won by the Bulldogs, but probably because the ball was down there a little bit more often 1% is fairly even so really the the, uh, the game according to the stats and probably according to the, the eye test as well was one out of the middle um, and uh, you know a lot of chatter about the value of Ruckman and you could say that you can probably win with an average Ruckman and uh, you know a couple of teams, uh, premiership teams of years past haven't had what you would call premier Ruckman but I've never seen a team win a grand final with a poorly performed Ruckman. Have other of you guys? No, that's a very good point. Because no. um, that comes back to starting in the middle, doesn't it? And start game starts there in the middle, and if you've got it going your way all the time, well, you're eventually going to win the game. Yep. Um, um, just one, one point I'd like to raise, though, Fiend. Um, Simon Goodwin. He was on the... Uh, when they, at the end of the season, when the so-called scribes uh, choose the uh, or state who they think are the coaches most under fire and, and likely to go even during the season, his name is high up there. 
And uh, it just goes to show that it, it's not necessarily always the coach's fault. Um, you know, Goodwin is Goodwin. He's the same uh, Goodwin, and yet last year, well, the last year they're talking about he'll he'll be very lucky if he makes it through this season. And the guy's a premiership coach. You know, I was thinking about that a little bit today, Macca, because um, you know we're very quick to judge. We're very quick to judge players. We're very quick to judge coaches. And, you know, judgment and, um, um, you know, critical analysis has its place in football as it does with any sport. And, uh, you know, it wasn't so long ago that critical analysis told you that there was something particularly wrong with the Adelaide Crows. And, you know, we've seen the turnaround in our club since uh, that analysis has taken place. You know, pretty much that whole crew has been cleared out and things are looking a lot brighter. But... It's interesting, you look at a team like Carlton who have gone through um, uh, coaches like Nicky's gone through boyfriends recently and um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, for no gain you know, Richmond stuck with Hardwick when he was on the nose in the first couple of years of his tenure Um, you know uh, there's a lot to be said for the influence that the media has had on on clubs' decisions, and I just wonder whether all of us, whether when it comes to analysing new players or analysing coaches or or stuff like that, we all need to just may, maybe take a bit of a breath and just allow young kids to develop and coaches to get their all the pieces in place that they need to, etc., etc. Um, you know, and that's different to maybe looking at a Chris Scott or a Ken Hinckley who've probably had enough time and you start to think, well, all right, maybe that's not going to work for them. But, you know, uh, it wasn't so long ago that Melbourne were being canned for another bust in Christian Petrarca as a top-end pick, you know, and as you rightly point out, Goodwin was on the nose with a lot of the media for not being able to coach. And here we are with Petrarca, Norm Smith, medalist, and Simon Goodwin, a, uh, a premiership-winning coach. So I think the media have got a lot to answer for in terms of getting on the backs of coaches and players really early and uh, maybe in some cases clubs that aren't strong enough to withstand that and are slaves to court of public opinion maybe uh, have cost themselves uh, a few chances as a consequence. Yep, uh, I, I would say that would have happened to many a coach uh, over the years that really didn't have the team, let down perhaps by the uh, by the list management team, uh, and yet he's the one that takes the blame and when uh, and and yeah, you know, he gets the boot. So, uh, but in this case, uh, just as, you, as I said, and well, I think you're quite right. I think we do judge very quickly. Um, it's a, it's a pressure industry, there's no doubt about that, and it's going to be judged a lot quicker and faster than anything else, but I think we do it a little bit too quickly. Yeah, well, I guess, it's, and Nick, you'd probably agree, Chase Jones is a classic point from our point of view, absolutely written oh, off by all and sundry, including us. Um, yeah, and including me, watching him play in defence yeah. in the SNFL. I still wasn't happy when he got put in the AFL team. I'm like, oh, this could be disastrous. But he just seemed to take that little bit of a step up. But 
that's something we, I mean, we've talked about this, I think, a couple of years ago, particularly around Hutch, Hutchinson, et cetera, and what, yeah. how he's kind of created his little empire because his empire is purely based on the fact of you have to get a story out. He doesn't actually, they don't seem to particularly care whether it's true or not. Yep. They just want that story and they've got to keep funneling them out over and over again. And it's not just in our sport, it's across all sport, it's across all news areas. Unfortunately, it's a, something that we're having to deal with. But I think what we've kind of done on this podcast is we do tend to look at the longer picture. Um, and well, not always, Nick, but we try, I guess yeah, we not, try not to always. be objective. Yeah, we, we, we try to be objective and we look at it. And, and I think it was interesting that we were, I think the calls were mostly from us predominantly about looking at our own club and saying, there's an issue going on here. Um, and, but that was because you could just see that pattern happen yeah. so many times. And you're, you're, you're so right about a lot of the calls on coaches because they're coming from people who either haven't coached, haven't played. And that does give you a little bit of an insight, but then you do get people who have played like Hankorns, um, who has he ever got any, like any of his calls actually right so it's it's that good you've got to be that balance but you need to be able to have that brain to be able to observe and think and take the step back and try and take the emotion out of it a little bit which is very hard to do as fans well um, i'll put I it to you always, sorry go mac i was gonna say we will always have some emotion because we are fans nikki um, yeah. but uh so we you say take it out well we'll you will never for hundred percent take it out because that's no. just who, who we are. Um, and then I noticed at the moment they're mentioning Mackesy in the chat. Well, he, this is a case where he's been with us a couple of years, um, and I really, I, I'm judging him now. I'm, I'm, I'm judging him because he's had two years and I'm not liking what I'm seeing. It doesn't mean to say I'll be right, by the way. Um, but um, this is what we're talking about, but. I think this. I think on this cast we've, we've been, we've given him a lot of time. I think in two years he should have shown a bit of something. But, I'll, put, um, I'll put this to you, Macca. I'll put this to you, Macca, about Fisher Mackesy. If we yeah. took him at number thirty-five, would anyone give a shit that he's taking a little no. longer to get up to speed? No, and, they wouldn't. And, and, it, and that's the emotive point. It's the fact. It's not that he's on our list, but it's the fact that we took him at six. Now, it's not his fault that we took him at six because he is Correct. who he is. And this is where people get hung up on the number, the draft pick, right? We took Mackesee for whatever Which? reason. We thought he was the best, you know, tall defender in, in the thing at the time and all the rest of it. But the simple fact is that he would develop at the rate that he develops. Now, if he was at 35... He'd be, we'd be quite happy to let him slow burn in the SANFL and come up to speed, you know. But because we took him at six, he's got a he should be already, you know, a, a, a standard. Not all players develop at the same rate. We've got Geordie Butts, who's come on and done a really good job. We've got Fisher Mackesy that maybe needs a little bit longer. Geordie Butts and, was a bloody the, rookie pick. For he's a rookie. And, and the thing on that is, is that they... So these comments are always directed at the players. You are this particular pick. You should be playing better. They didn't pick themselves. They didn't say they 
that's where they deserve to be. That was the club who thought that's where that player is for our needs. And any of the discussion that anybody has on it actually needs to aim that at the club and not at the player because the player is only doing what they are able to within their own um, sphere of development because you don't know what's going on within the club in terms of developments or if they get injuries, et cetera. So like Ben Davis, you know, the massive amount of injuries. We talk about yeah. like he's been on our list for six, seven years. We really ideally actually only had him on our list for three years because he's had well, yeah, knee reconstructions. Out, year out. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens in sport and everything else. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and to me, I think that builds a lot of pressure on these younger players as well and where we need right. to take a bit of a step back. Absolutely. And bringing it back to uh, the grand final uh, and, you know, the the spot, the focus on coaches and all the rest of it. Matt, can, when was the last time a club won a, uh, a grand final with a shit team? Well, they don't. <laughs> they don't. And that's the point, isn't it? I mean, yes, there's been there's been good teams that have not won grand finals. We we didn't win a grand final in 2017. We didn't win, you know, back in whatever it was, 0405 or whenever it was, all the way back then when we were crowbots and all the rest of it. There's never, been, but there's never been a club or a team that has won a grand final that has been shit. And what I'm my point with that is that yes, the coach can put the finishing touches on. Uh, and put a strategy in place that's appropriate for his list and get the most out of his players. But at the end of the day, he probably contributes maybe 5 or 10% in my view, and it's on the coaches, uh, on the players, 90% of it, um, in terms of whether they're successful or not. That's my opinion. Well, there is, there is one other factor, uh, and it's a very, very important factor, and 2017 proved that. You also have to be very mentally strong as well. And, uh, well, that's a, that's that's support staff's role, isn't it? Really? Well, it is. Well, yeah, to, to help help them develop that. Well, it's to build that up over the course of time. You're quite right. Um, and uh, obviously that, as well as we were coached in many areas in 2017, that was obviously one that we were let down very sad, badly, uh, because we just didn't... Well, we just didn't turn up mentally, did we? So we actually had a good t- had a good side all year. We showed that in every game up until that particular point. Yeah. Um, and we, the, were, we were still in that game in the last quarter. That, but that's me, why. But, but, but mentally, we weren't, Nikki. That was the problem. But yeah, you're right. That was then. We just couldn't go on with it. Yeah, um, and uh, an interesting aside to that. Uh, following that game, Don Pike felt that we were mentally weak, and he wanted to do something. Uh, to toughen the players up mentally and unfortunately listened to the wrong bloke and Burton talked to him into collecting <laughs> minds and he was out. Simon Good, Simon Good went a couple of years ago wanted to send Melbourne on a camp of some sort so it was of a similar nature, not by the same group. The players revolted and said, no, we're not going to go and, they, and Simon was uh, big enough to go, all right, we're going to go down a different path. So, you know, a bit of a Damien Barrett sliding doors moment there, I guess. Um but uh, in any case, look, back to the game at hand, um, I, I just wanted to make that point that I, I think coaches are... are uh, there, there's a time and a place for a coach. Like at the moment, I'm starting to hear a few rumbles about Fagan at Brisbane. So are you kidding me? The, what, the job that that bloke's done to bring Brisbane back from being a, a, a 
a stopover to a decent club for most players to a force to be reckoned with and barring a couple of key injuries late in the season you know it could have very easily been Brisbane instead of the Western Bulldogs in that grand final Um, I would have been would have been you know Um, uh, they were two key forwards and and, uh, uh, when they played the Bulldogs they were were two uh, key forwards short and they lost the game I think by a point and then you know, normality would have said that, that they would have won that if they'd had those two uh, key forwards in their side. So, you know, just bad luck can beat you. Like, Fagan's done a great job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the team that has done it best, or the club that has done its best, is actually Sydney. If you look at the longevity of Sydney's coaches, uh, we had Longmire and then we had Ruse prior to that, um, they have been very good at um, developing, like, Longmire won't leave until he wants to go. You know, Sydney haven't won a grand grand final for a few years now, but they won't move Longmire on until he's ready to go. Uh, even to the extent that they were happy to let Stewie Jew um, go uh, because there was no succession plan. And, you know, you, you compare that to Collingwood, who decided, oh, we need, or Hawthorne. Oh, Hawthorne probably not so much because Clarko had been there for ages. But... Uh, Collingwood, which decided that Mick Malthouse, after a couple of years after winning a, a premiership, was no longer the man, and set a, set a, a succession plan up. It's just it's just crazy times, and they haven't had any success since. That was Eddie. Yeah, that was just mad. That was absolute madness. Quite frankly, just uh, it was just Eddie's uh, obsession. You know, that really that. Uh, he wanted Buckley as a as a coach. It made no sense. It made no sense at all. Um, and then, you know, and they paid the price for it. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Let's move on to some individuals, shall we? Because there were some standout performers. Obviously, Petrarca. Now, for one moment during the game, he had uh, the highest possessions ever in the grand final. But for for whatever reason, they've ticked it back to thirty nine. I don't know whether there was a statistician error or whatever, but. Nevertheless, 39 touches, 21 kicks, 18 handballs, um, 24 contested possessions, if you don't mind, uh, and a disposal efficiency of 74%. Just a, probably probably the best grand final performance I reckon I've seen that I can remember. I'll support that. Um, this, is, this is a guy, who, I think he was taking number one in his year, wasn't he? Um, and two, uh, number two, two, wasn't he? Number McCartan, two. McCartan, 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 McCartan one, yeah. Oh, there, strange that. Um, yeah, well, you know, uh, he Petrarca has been criticized up until the last two years, uh, for not performing up to his ability, and the criticism was justified. Um, he's got himself last year, he got himself fit, and he started to become an extremely good uh, player. And this year, he's got himself even fitter, stronger, and uh, his endurance was fantastic in the grand final. I mean, just, I can't think of any weakness in his game that you could identify on the way he played in the grand final. And that's, and what bigger place can you play your game than in a grand final? And just to play the near-perfect game. Outstanding. Yeah. And, and here's where stats can sometimes lie at you, because whilst Caleb Daniel wasn't bad, 
He's 37 touches, 26 kicks, 11 handballs at 68% with 22 uh, with 10 contested possessions. Piling into significance um, by comparison uh, in terms of the level of impact he had on the game and the importance he had on the game. Whereas in the previous week, Daniel was instrumental because he was able to actually be constructive with his disposal. Um, this week, Melbourne were able to sh- shut down all the outlets and uh, whilst Caleb still got a lot of the ball, he wasn't anywhere near as damaging because he didn't have the targets. No doubt about that. I, I did think Daniel did try very, very hard, though, and uh, I actually, in the end, I rated him as their best player. He tried hard, but he made stupid decisions. Yeah, and, and it I wasn't, think that was down and, to the pressure, he, Nick. Yep, and he did not cope with that pressure. And where he was and his turnovers were incredibly detrimental against the Bulldogs. Um, just on Petrarca, I remember a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing a Melbourne game and we were talking Oliver versus Petrarca and you guys were on the bandwagon for Oliver and I was on the bandwagon for Petrarca. So I'm just going to go, hello. <laughs> oh. I, I just There's just there's something sure about the way it, he plays. Pretty sure I called it a toss-up. I reckon Oliver's a better <laughs> player, really but I like... really love watching Petrarca play. Yeah, it's it's just to me, he's just so it's just so fluid, and just the way he plays the game, it's just that's what you want to go and see. And I I do have to give a shout out to a couple of guys in the chat because I think they're we're going to pull pull you up that you know Dusty's had some pretty fair performances in the grand final, and I think Darren Jarman's had a pretty good one as well. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, Clayton Oliver, 33 disposals, 14 and 19, uh, 13 contested possessions. But I think you're right. I think I think he actually uh, went to Bontempelli, didn't he? Uh, he a did. Bit, and uh, probably sacrificed himself a little bit uh, to quieten the Bont down. Um, yeah. But still an excellent game by Oliver. Salem as well, um, half back and through the middle, 27 touches, 22 and 5. Um, was really good. He's a really good link player and a really good distributor for them, and I thought he was excellent. Trelaw, yep. I thought, was pretty good. 27 touches for the Bulldogs, 11 and 16, uh, particularly in that second quarter. I thought he was excellent. McRae got a bit of the ball, but I didn't think he was terribly damaging. 26 touches, 12 and 14. Uh, Bailey Smith, again, I felt... I felt one, apart from Bontempelli, I felt like the Bulldogs midfielders or their prime movers got a lot of ball in areas that weren't that didn't put Melbourne under pressure. I, I feel like Melbourne were very good at keeping their prime movers away from dangerous parts of the ground. Well, if you think about most of the attack for the Bulldogs, there weren't too many that went straight from centre straight down to goals. Yeah. Uh, they were generally going wide and around flanks and doing it the hard way. And... Uh, you know, if you haven't got any winners up forward, well, that's not going to get you many goals. Yeah. Um, Jack Vining, I thought, was good. 25 uh, disposals, very inside, 14 contested possessions, uh, 16 handballs out of those 25 touches. Gus Brayshaw, I've talked about, 25 touches on a wing was excellent um, with uh, 11 contested possessions. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Bontempelli, uh, a pretty damaging 25-touch game with three goals. Um, 13 and 12. Uh, surprisingly, Bontempelli only spent 68% time uh, disposal efficiency. Sorry. Uh, I thought he was pretty clean, but under 70, I, it actually surprises me a little bit. 
Um, and then, you know, uh, the other uh, midfielder for the Bulldogs, uh, Liberatorio, 23 touches, 10 and 13. Um, 15 contested possessions. I thought he was good in tight early. Um, no one else there really. Have no, a couple of quiet ones. Lockie Hunter didn't have a huge impact in the second half, I didn't think. Um, Alex Keith, I thought, had a bit of a stinker, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, ordinary. Johansson didn't have he, much influence at all. He he did for a little bit um, when they were having that run on. He was getting a lot of that. It was back to their last premiership where he was just getting that run off of half back. Um, but once that ball just started going over his head, etc., yeah, just didn't help. Yeah. Um, Cody Waitman, Waitman was extremely disappointing. You have to ask whether he was actually fit. Um, but let's just go back up to... Or um, that hit on the goalpost. Sorry, you broke up there. He hit again. the goalpost and then he hit his head on the ground. No, that was yeah, Johansson. He, no, he, he no, 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 that was Waitman. He hit the goalpost and then when he came down, his oh, head yeah, he actually yeah. hit the ground. And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they, why did they not take him off and check him? Well, he hadn't touched the ball at halftime. Zero touches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's just talk about Fitch for a minute. Six goals, two, 13 disposals. Um, there's how, – how close was that to D. Jarman in 97? Well, Fitch, not the same – not the same league. Why? I just, oh, just the class of Jarman. I mean, just Jarman... Um, doesn't matter. It's six goals. It's like golf. It doesn't matter how it's, how, it's, how you yeah. score them. Yeah, it's six goals, but Jarman was starting in the midfield for every single one of those, and then he went down forward. Bridges, I don't know whether... Bridges only playing up forward. They're not necessarily uh, that, all of them, Nicky, but he also played as a midfielder, um, and some of, his, some of his stuff was really classy. Uh, Fitch, at least three of his goals were just presents on his chest. And he, oh, yeah. And he admittedly oh. he's got to kick him. But he also has to lead to the right spots and, hang, and hang everything on. else. So hang forward on. craft is a whole other thing too. Hey, Dee Jarman got uh, two lace-outs, one from Kane Johnson and one from Kimmy Costa on the left, which Jars said is the only time Costa's kicked on his left for his entire <laughs> career. Uh, he, got one, he got one soft one holding Jimmy. free. Got one soft holding free, and he got and one decent snap where the ball bounced back into his lap. And I've watched that about ten thousand times, and I still can't work out how the ball just ended up in Jarman's arm. So, eh, I don't know. Oh, that! Oh, yeah, that bounce. Uh, Vardy magic makes a huge point. Jarman was yeah. the difference. Fritch was just the cream. That's what I was waiting for. That's what I was yep. waiting for. You could you could argue as much as you like, uh, but I don't think I don't think. Melbourne were relying on Fitch to kick six. Fitch to kick no. six. Whereas we didn't have a lot up forward. Don't forget, we'd lost Modra, etc. So we didn't have that focal point. Uh, we were struggling to find avenues to goal, and it required D. Jarman to work his magic. Malcolm Blight asked him to work his magic, and uh, he delivered. And uh, that's the key difference. So all these. Scribes saying, oh, you know, best since Jarman, same as Jarman. It's not in the same ballpark. Not because kicking six in a grand final isn't a fantastic effort, but just the context of the game. The yeah. context of the game is the thing, isn't it? I mean, he had a bloody good game 
and everything else. But if it wasn't him, it would have been one of the other Melbourne forwards. Yeah. Um, because of the way that they play. And and he missed shots and the others missed shots as well. Um, it's just, you, you're right. And Vardy Magic was absolutely spot on is that it's the way it makes that difference. I mean, it is absolutely no slight against Fritsch because he did have a great game. Yep. But Darren Jarman is a freak. Yep. Yep. Um, and did a bit else too, uh, apart from that. Um, all right. So that winds it up. That's the uh, that's the grand final done and done. And uh, <laughs> yep. I, I guess the only thing to ask is out of, I guess, the top four, um, uh, Port, Geelong, the Bulldogs and Melbourne, do we think those teams are the teams to beat next year? Um, you go two. first, Nick. Uh, two of them, I think, yes. A third... They'll probably do what they've normally done, which is play well during the season, but I think they'll still struggle once it actually gets to the final. And the fourth one, no, because there's been quite a few exodus happening down there, which is very interesting. You can put names on them, Nicky? Uh, Melbourne Bulldogs. Although it'll be uh, – I put a little slight little question marks next to the Bulldogs on this because of the way that they were beaten. It'll be interesting to see how they turn up next year Port will be the one that will play well during the season but will falter in finals and Geelong I think although we've predicted this for so bloody long and they still keep bloody winning because it's down at Cardinia Park but there's been some very interesting movements out of Geelong um, since what's happened so yeah we might finally see the slide yeah, like the way I see it, I think you know Melbourne. Obviously, um, they've got a very good team all round, and it's not an old team, so I, I can't see any reason why they won't be there again next year. I think the Bulldogs are pretty similar. Uh, I think they've got some quality players there. Um, I don't know about winning a flag, but I think they'll be up and around the place. Uh, Geelong, it doesn't matter if they're up and around the place because I'll never win a flag with that, with that game plan. They will never, ever win a game, that game plan. And their players are getting older. I think I think their window is shut well and truly. I think Port Adelaide, the shutters are slowly coming down. Uh, next oh, year is if they don't... Really? Yes, I think. But when you look at the number of players, they've got over 30, thing. I think they've got 10. Yeah, but they've uh, also got 30. a very good young crop as well. We've got some nice ones coming through, but you need um, some. You need that lovely balance of uh, some seniors, some mid levels, and and some juniors. There, and uh, I just think Port uh, aren't totally balanced in terms of their list. Uh, but I think you know uh, I am with the uh, other supporters of the other seventeen teams that say, "In can we trust?" Because you'll never win a bloody flag. I'm sure of it. Well, there's a couple uh, of noticeables. So, I, I forgot to mention in the Melbourne support staff, uh, you know, a lot of people saying Choco Williams was instrumental and I'm sure that he played a role and certainly had a chat to a couple of the boys apparently uh, during the course of that third third quarter or halftime and uh, Petrarca was one of them. But the other one I thought was interesting and I didn't even, I'd forgotten that he was part of that group is Alan Richardson because you remember the last time Port Adelaide were competitive 
Alan Richardson yeah. was the coach. It uh, was the assistant coach, senior assistant Good there. Point. And he ended up going to St Kilda and, and not having any success there um, and was probably one of those coaches that falls into the category of didn't get long enough. But um, Ken Hinckley works best when he's got a general next to him, Alan Richardson, Phil Walsh. Um, I wouldn't call Michael Voss a general, but he's been you know, probably the most recent along with um, Jared Schofield. Ken's got no one around him next year. And I think that's going to be the biggest problem for Port. I don't think it's actually the playing yeah. group. I think it's the coaching staff. Yep, I agree with that. Yep. I, I, I think it's mostly that, but there is that little bit of the point from, from Macca. And, we, and we've identified this before, that they've got that great group of young kids and they've got those older veterans, but it's that that depth, that just slightly older ones that are supposed to come in, that's where they're lacking. And if they get injuries, et cetera, that's where the problem comes in too. Yeah. Now, I've been carrying on like a dickhead, uh, but uh, don't forget, people in the audience, you've got a few minutes yet, so if you want to have something to say, jump on now. It's the last weekend wrap for the season, so uh, we'll still have a few Tuesday night lives, but uh, we won't be around on Sunday night anymore after this week, so get it off your chest now if you've got anything to say. Um, <laughs> let's let's turn our thoughts briefly, Macca, Briefly, to uh, what's happening in the off season. Uh, of course, as covered on Tuesday night, we've uh, we've got uh, the uh, the young lad from Sydney coming in. Hopefully, if they can get a deal done, which you'd think they'd be able to. Um, what sort of a difference do you see him making, uh, Mac and Nick? Well, uh, uh, I, I watch him every week. I, I watch every game every week, and. Uh, this guy is quality. He is absolute quality. I've been, last year it was a, he was a real he really emerged last year, and I thought he was. I think he finished about tenth in their best and fairest last oh, year. I think it was a bit higher um, than that. I think it was like eight or seven or something. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it might have been yes, it was, uh, and and absolutely deserved it. I thought, gee, he's a well, he's a quality player. I'd love to get him. I actually thought that that last last year, and then watching him this year. Uh, he went up to another level. Mm. Uh, he was playing off at half back originally, and uh, you know he's a very strong overhead mark. He's good at ground level. He's got reasonably good pace. He's a beautiful left foot kick. He reads the play beautifully. Uh, he's got good vision around the ground. There uh, are yeah, no weaknesses in this boy. And then uh, then they moved him onto the wing, and. Uh, once they moved him on the wing, it suddenly started winning more games because he's got that lovely left foot pass coming in there, and he's got good vision, and he and he knows how to earn a ball. So, uh, I I think he's one of the best recruits we've had for many many a long day. Nick, many many a long day. Oh, for for me, it's the, there's all of that, but it's the the contested marking and that you know, the great marking ability that he's got because I think that's where we've kind of lacked with some of our forwards. Um, and that's, we we just need those kind of players who, who do hit that um, kind of um, uh, words gone elsewhere. Um, so I, I think he's an absolute must have, whoever did, you know the to get him to to pick us. Well done, very yeah. well done. I I think this is a, a great move from the club, and 
you know, the the fact that we just we've got a, a preseason draft pick that we can use. So it's then up to make sure that we uh we don't give away too much, but to still try and be fair. Yeah. Well, the other thing about, which is very important to note about this is that um Sydney tried to hold him. Uh Port tried to uh, put their nose in, at least did some tire kicking. Um but he chose Adelaide, and I think that is so important that you know the media have been trying to build Port Adelaide up as the South Australian club, the destination club, the bloody everything club. Um, and even on the day before it was announced that Dawson uh, was going to come to Adelaide, I watched the gurus from the AFL talking about how. Dawson will be very good for Port Adelaide and what will Port Adelaide have to give up? Didn't even consider that Adelaide might be in the hunt. Well, in future, they'll stuff to, because he has chosen us and he's, in my opinion, going to be an elite player, uh, they will have to think of uh, Adelaide and they won't have to write write us off. It's very important for us in terms of our status in the AFL. I guess so. Um, By all reports, we're into Jordan a long way out. you would have thought that he would have been exposed to Matty Nix uh, a fair bit uh, in New South Wales. Uh, Matty Nix also has a Sydney Swans connection, obviously having played there. Um, uh, He was obviously targeted by all reports from the beginning of the year. I didn't ever really think there was a problem. Um, I just had to laugh at that numbnut bloody Chris Davies from Port Adelaide who's the biggest tool I've ever seen, just try to get around it and all the rest of it. And the biggest indicator for me, Macca, was that he never had a physical at, or ne- never had a medical at Port. And I knew no, he'd had he a medical. I knew he'd had a medical with us. And once that became clear, it's like, well, that's like, all the rest is just media bullshit. And that's what it turned out to be. So I, I wouldn't mind betting that we uh, don't spend a lot of time haggling with Sydney. Um, Pete and I in the past, and I'd be interested, Macca and Nick, in your thoughts. Pete and I have sort of been spinning the wheels on a uh, on a um, pick downgrade, uh, four for Dawson and 12, but the more I think about it, I think probably 23 is the centrepiece of that trade and maybe a few stake knives one way or the other in terms of picks or future picks or whatever. What do you think? I think that's 100% right. Pick 23 it will be the staple uh, part of it, and I'll say that... Uh, 23 is not good enough, and so we'll do a couple of pick swaps here and there. And but uh, might, it might be future uh, swaps or whatever. But yeah. uh, at the end, of, and at the end of the day, we won't be parting with pick four. I don't think. No, and and I think it will also wait a little bit as well on what other players are possibly also available um, around, and if we've got any other little, you know, pokers in the fire. Um, and so I, I think we're actually coming from a nice position of strength uh, regarding Dawson because he is out of contract. Razor, I don't know what space you're talking about. We're talking about a trade here, so space isn't really an, an issue. Um, in terms of if you're talking about space on the list, well, we have to have a, a minimum amount of players on the list, so that doesn't really matter. In terms of cat space, we've got no, plenty of money coming off the books. Yeah, he's talking. But remember, we have to spend that. We have to spend a certain amount of that. Ninety-five percent of our TPP yeah. we have to spend. So, yeah. uh, we, uh, uh, salary cap isn't our problem at the moment. 
Um, so, no. you know, uh, a little bit of talk about Isaac Rankin, just a little, little, little bit of talk about Isaac Rankin. I think it's more speculation than anything else, but it is noticeable, notable that uh, Isaac's in town at the moment and has let everyone know that he's in town via Instagram. So uh, who knows about that? Well, um, do we really want him? Oh, absolutely. We'd, we'd take him in a heartbeat. Maka, come on. We we need a good, we need a quality small forward. Well, the, the player that played before he went up to the Gold Coast and played in his first couple of games of the Gold Coast is a player I would like, but the player that played for the Gold Coast this year I wouldn't be too interested in. You, you don't lose and, talent, Maka. Yeah, and, and that comes back to our discussion we had earlier, Maka, about judging too quickly. Because is that to do with what's going on up at Gold Coast? You know, the way that the balls come in up there. Um, there could be other things that are going on in terms of coaching structure. There could be other things that kind of impact that because it is really only one season, really, that he's kind of yeah. started to stink it up a bit. Yeah, and funny Magic on the chat trying to just inject a little bit of logic and rationalism into the thing by saying that Will Day's here as well, it doesn't mean anything. Look, we all know that. Just let us have a little bit of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd take Isaac. I don't know what it'd take. I don't think... I think his form in the last 12 months has probably only dictated the fact that he's no longer worth a first-round pick, Mac. Uh, yeah. But you don't lose talent. Well, well if you, we were... Look, I would give a second rounder for him and uh, that, that'd be it, but... If we, if we were talking uh, first round, not interested. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I, no, he's fallen off that. Uh, Luco also in town, apparently having lunch with the Port Boys, but, of course, he's got connections there with Connor Rosie, etc. Um, yeah, they're all friends. So uh, I don't think Luco's coming back. And, look, the thing, the, the problem with Isaac is that he's still under contract. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if that's a next year thing. Uh, uh, Luca will be coming back next year if he's not this year. Um, I'm pretty sure of that. Thing. Yeah, I mean, he has bought a house here. It's because this, this is his hometown. Yeah, but if he's going to stay in Brisbane for the next 10 years, he's not going to buy a house here now. Why? You never heard of renting a place out? Well, I have heard of that, but um, generally, put it this way in, in the Daniel Talia owned got... three houses in Melbourne. He didn't want to leave. Well, okay, fair enough. But I just think that there might be a sign that uh, uh, maybe not this year, but I, I do think next year he'll be gettable. Well, I think both. I'm not disagreeing with you. I don't think it'll be this year, though, and I don't think the house is any indication, um, you know, that they're born and bred Western suburbs people, the Lacociuses, and, um, yeah, I don't think it means a hell of a lot. But I do agree with you that both... Uh, the time to get Lacocious and Rankin will be next year, but I'll put this to you. Do we still need Lacocious? Um, well, I know we had this debate last year, last week. Um, he's not a look. He's not. A, he's not a must get. Oh, I do agree with that. He's He'll not cost a must you too get. much, Mac. I re reckon. Oh, I, I would much. like I would like to have him in the side. He's he's not a must get, but he he's going to develop in. Look, he developed into a pretty nice player at the moment. 
a pretty nice player. I think there's still more development in him, uh, and uh, he could develop into a very good player. But um, but where though? Be pun. In what? And I know what you're going to say. Well, I was going to say uh, in defence, uh, a running defence type player. Um, but you could even play him on the wing. But uh, look, he'd, he'd be a good addition to the team. But I don't. I can't maintain that he's an essential. Uh, think uh, player for the team. I think you always want good players in your team, you know. And I think there's a future for um, Luco on a wing, or even as a, as a uh, a high half forward. Um, my problem, I think, in the whole equation is that he's going to cost too much for what for that... what he brings. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't want the club to spend a first round pick, which is what's going to what it's going to take to get him back here. If he's not a gilt edge midfielder or a first choice key position forward, and unfortunately, that's how see, and he was drafted as a future key position forward maker, and it hasn't panned out. He hasn't really grown. Um, he's more good playing behind the ball, it seems. So I don't really think that uh, you know. Um, you know, I, I know the Lacoste's family would love him to play at the Crows, but. I can't see it happening. Whereas Isaac Rankin, even though he's probably, well, definitely lesser performed of the two, we all know what his talent is. You don't lose talent, and he actually possesses abilities in a position that we lack at the moment. Um, Rowe isn't going to cut it as a small forward. Um, Merkin oh, doesn't cut not... it as a small forward. Um, you know, um, Tarek Newchurch is a year or two away at least of even being a sniff of being a small forward, in my opinion. Um, you know, so Isaac feels a definite need and he comes at a cheaper cost. Is probably, you know, a, a higher to mid-second rounder now, uh, whereas he was, you know, a top-end first rounder. So I, I think that's probably the basis of my thoughts on that one. Well, there's no doubt that you should always be uh, drafting or trading for needs only in the sense that just not for the sake of getting a nice player. So it, that supports your argument um, uh, in terms of Lacocious, but it does support your argument in terms of uh, Rankin. But I'd, I'd be very, very happy to have Rankin if, if the Rankin, the, we, the very best Rankin came here, and maybe it might be that he has been just sort of, I don't know, not putting in as much as he should have been. Um, and I don't know whether there's any underlying issues or not, but uh, he he had a pretty terrible year this year, Pete. Um, he very did very have a terrible. He did, but he didn't have a bad first year for a first year player. And no, good. Year. As year. I said, you don't lose your talent, and we all know that there are systemic issues at Gold Coast. The the amount of players that have left that club, um, the amount of players that have. Um, struggled at that club because of you know the location and the lack of being AFL heartland and you know succession of coaches and and all that sort of rubbish. I don't think you can necessarily. Sorry. Another question. Um, Rumours that we've been trying to get pick three. I don't understand it. Can you enlighten me on that one? Uh, it's more. I think it is just a rumor. Gold Coast have been on the record for a while that they're willing to pick uh, to uh, exchange pick three uh, for a quality uh, forward. 
there's been talk about us giving them four and Himmelberg for three. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I've heard nothing concrete about it. Um, so but that that's that's the basis. Well, if that was the if that were to be the case, that would mean that that we're obviously targeting somebody who we think is definitely going to be at three. Yeah. Do or you maybe get, or, or maybe getting ahead of someone who might uh, otherwise fall to, to Gold Coast. Or maybe uh, making uh, uh, making it part of a, an offer to North Melbourne that's more attractive than four. Well, I'm trying. You know, I don't know enough of the uh, uh, you know the trade targets in the sense of, of all of them. Um, somebody in the chat said Finn Callaghan, and he probably seems to be. Um, Outside the magic one, uh, the best midfielder to get would that be the target? Well, it could be. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Callahan uh, having a uh, connection with Beveridge and uh, being a bit of a flight risk, um, which may steer. You know, he may be tanking the, his draft interviews or what have you. I don't know. Um, you know, there's been a tiny little bit of talk about North maybe not looking for a midfielder this year, although if they'd pass on Jason Horn francis then I don't know whether you've seen his two finals, Macca, but if ever there oh. was a guilt-edge pick one, uh, including Riley Thilthorpe last year, if ever there was a guilt-edge pick one, it's Jason Horn francis it, For an 18-year-old kid to play like that in, in a SNFL final series against men, um, you know, and to be honest with you, South Adelaide were relying on the on their kids, Horn Francis, um, Matty Roberts, um, uh, Sampson, or the other one, Schultz, relying on their kids to get them over the line. And for for Jason to have such an influence, not only in the game this weekend, but also the previous weekend, he is well, a, he's a ready-made round one player next year. I think he's the best number one I've seen for many, many a year. Um, I watched him in uh, the Snapple, and I was just a neck. Oh, what a player! He's just some of the, And I said uh, in our private chat about the fact. To me, there's a little bit of Ablettesque about him. Some of his things he does are, are like Ablett. I can remember two instances, for example, which and Ablett used to do this, like the ball's at your feet, there's a player running at you. Rather than trying to stand up and do something, in that crouching position, he's managed to spot somebody yeah. on his left hand side 20 metres away and pass it across there mm. from that crouching position. And he also kicked a goal on a semi-crouching position as well, from about yeah. 30, 40 metres out. Uh, he is a complete player. He can mark overhead. His reflexes are lightning. When you watch him in a pack, he is one of those players that are very, very rare. You, you see a lot of players around a pack, they what, they might be on one side of the pack. And when the ball goes to the other side of the pack, well, they leave it to the other people on the other side of the pack. Ablett would never used to do that. Ablett would actually just watch that ball like a hawk and watch for one opportunity and swoop and get it, even no matter what side it was on. And this is what Horn Francis does. I, 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 I've seen him before and thought he was good. I saw him uh, this week and I just think, shit, we're not getting him. So, so Macca, 
during the season on this bloody show when I was crying because we lost because we beat Hawthorne I'm I was, with you I was crying now do you understand why I was crying because oh. my goodness me if ever if ever there was a player to just cap off your midfield like and play anywhere basically uh it's Jason Horn Francis Oh, yeah, I you know, I don't know how many drafts you'd have to go back to get a number one that's got the, the quality of this kid. He is something special. Yeah, Ab- and, absolutely. And, and and I think it was Fiend, you and I were, was it last year or the year before, we actually described yeah. him as um, a mix between Ablett and Dangerfield. Yep. In terms of that he's got Ablett skills, but the Dangerfield burst. Oh, he has. He just has. Oh. Jesus. I yeah, I, I I said to Mrs. Macker, oh, I can't say the language I used, but I, was, <laughs> I did speak about the Hawthorne win. You don't swear at Mrs. Macker, do you? I swear in front of her, not right. at her. Right, good. I would never swear at her. Uh, but she, she could probably swear better back. <laughs> oh, oh, she's pretty good. Only, a, only an odd one here and there, and when I'm in the shit. <laughs> Anyway, look, uh, it's not worth spending time on because we're not getting Jason, unfortunately, and, uh, um, you know, that's just the way it is. So, um, but, you know, uh, Melbourne tanked a couple of years ago uh, and it didn't seem to hurt their culture any, and they got, uh, they got a nice ruckman out of it. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so, look... Uh, Moving ahead, I, uh, the only other news that we know of at the moment is Tommy Lynch looks like he's heading to North. Um, not sure whether it's in a um, uh, a player or coaching capacity, probably a bit of both. Um, so good to see Tommy land somewhere. Haven't really heard any more from uh, about Talia. Uh, whispers both about Richmond, although that seems to have called and Essendon due to his connection probably with uh, Truck. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, but not much else going on. A couple more signings. We had the young lads get signed, Pinell and um, Newchurch and uh, the other one that I can't think of. Borlase. 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 So, uh, only, only, only a couple left to sign now, O'Connor and uh, Davis. Um, and they'll probably leave that until after the after the trade period uh, when they've got a better idea of how the list looks. Well, yeah, so very that, interesting that, off-season coming up. Yeah, they're going to be flexible, those two. That uh, I think one of them has to go, Fiend, um, uh, because it's of looking the way, that way we, isn't it? Yeah, I think one of them's going to have to go. And, it, and I think it depends on opportunities. Uh, it, it might be both go. Um, but I, I, I would be pretty positive one of them will go, and and I say if the, an opportunity comes up that uh, with another club of another player, well then it might mean they they both have to go. And I think that if you know if we they I think our our club's done very very well in who it selected to keep. Um, if you were going to narrow it down to two players to be in this position, I think these are the other two players. Um, it doesn't mean that they're absolute failures or anything like that, but you just uh, you do have to turn players over and you do have to get new players into the club. Um, and so like these these 
may well be the two. Question I was going to ask you though is yep. that um, in terms of Kelly, what would you think we might get uh, in compensation for Kelly? And if also if Lynch and uh, Talia do go to clubs, what would we likely to get there? Well, Lynch is going to go on the rookie list, so that means that he will be a. He, we won't get anything for Tommy. I thought that might be the case, yeah. Yeah, and you'd think the same would happen with Tiles. Um, right. Uh, I reckon Kelly would get the same as what we've got for Rat. Well, I wouldn't be upset with that. Yeah, third rounder, I think uh, we got... Uh, Rat was, went up there on five years at... No, what did he go up there? Five years at 400 or something? Uh, yeah. Which was a band five, which is third round, I think. One, two, three, a band four, third rounder. Right. I reckon that's okay. what we get. I reckon that's what we get for him. Okay. Right. I just wonder whether that might come into play with the uh, trade for Dawson, that's all. Look, maybe. Um, I'm not aware of what, if Sydney, I don't think Sydney need points for anything in particular this year. Um, you would, th- yeah. And it's an interesting one because uh, in, if you're sitting looking at it from Sydney's point of view, they're losing a young player. You would think that they would want a young player in return, yeah. but we don't really have anything in that department to give them, uh, not that we'd want to. And as Nicky pointed out earlier, we do have a little bit of leverage in terms of the um, pre-season draft, although I don't think we'd be prone to use that. Um, so look, at, it might do, Mac. I'm not sure. Uh, we got to probably take our. We I don't even think we. I think we may only pick up two in the draft this year. I think we might upgrade a rookie and take two in the draft. Well, you, you could well be right uh, because of the fact that we still have uh, two uh, key players uh, sitting on our rookie list, yeah. and uh, uh, one's a fullback, of course, and one and one's uh, keys and. Yeah. Uh, well, if we don't, if we don't, oh, and we've got Strawny as well, and I think we run into a bit of trouble if we don't upgrade one of those, because then we're going to have to do two rookie upgrades next year because of the limitation on how long a player can stay on the rookie list. But that's mm-hmm. what makes me think we're going to upgrade one of them, either Butts or Strawn, probably Butts, I'd say. Um, yeah. And and take two at the draft. That's what I think. And, and the, other, the other thing that's actually changed is uh, this year is that, um, or was that, that was that, or was that already changed this year, where uh, Borlo's and Newchurch uh, could previously only play if they got upgraded onto a rookie list, but uh, now the Category B players can play directly as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that, Maka. Well, I know they they can. I'm not sure where that was the case, but I think I read it as a new rule that they, that they can. They definitely will be able to play be chosen anyhow. That yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Look, it's lots to play out. I think we might, um, I think we might dip into our uh, our picks for twenty twenty two at some stage to try and get up. I, I would see that the the trouble with the Jordan Dawson trade is that it, it means that our twenty third, which we may have tried to push up into the first round, like the back end of the first round, is gone. 
So our ability to get any more first round picks is, is limited to our willingness to split pick four. Um, there's been talk about us splitting our pick four with Richmond for seven and I think they've got 16 from it's memory. Around about that. It's yeah. around about that, yeah. So there's been talk, about, but to me that's too much of a cost. Uh, that's not enough back for pick four. Uh, yes, it's two first round picks, but pick four is, is guilt-edged. Uh, seven to seven to 20, is, it's, it's starting to... Particularly in this draft, it's very even after seven. Um, you know, Pete and I have talked before about the fact that if we split four and got Dawson and 12, uh, then 12 puts us in the frame for Arlo, a lad like Arlo, uh, Arlo Draper, um, who wouldn't be a bad get. Um, I don't think Matty Roberts goes that high. He would have probably been in the frame late first round, I think, or early second. So I think there's a fair bit to play out in terms of pick swapping this year, Macca, before we have a real read on on what we're uh, what we're going to take to the draft. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, one good thing is, even if we don't do anything special, we have at least have got Dawson, which is a, a a quality add to our, and we've got all our good players still intact. So yeah. if we do nothing, it's it's a real, it's a very good game. Yeah. All right, well, look, I think uh, we've uh, pretty much done that to death. Um, I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who's joined us throughout, not only tonight, but throughout the season on YouTube and also on Discord. Our Discord community has grown substantially this year. Our YouTube subscriptions are growing um, pretty well as well compared to where we started this year. Um, It's been great to be able to talk footy with everyone on a Saturday night, on a Sunday night, I should say, every weekend, and uh, it's been fantastic to spend another year with my offsiders, Nikki and Macca, um, at various stages. Despite people in the chat, Macca, thinking that you know we're at each other's throats all the time, we're really not. <laughs> uh, not all the time. Not all the time. <laughs> there was a pause there. He had to think about it. <laughs> Oh, it's half dear. the fun. It is. Half it's the half fun. the fun. No, look. I think the, the good thing is, if we just sat in and agreed all the time, it wouldn't be much fun, really. It just would be pretty boring. So, uh, an argument now and a good now and again is a good thing. Yep, absolutely. Um, we will continue on uh, Tuesday nights for the time being. Uh, we probably, I reckon, Pete and I might do. And me this Tuesday, and then we might just leave it for a couple of weeks, depending on. I haven't looked at the dates for trade week and all that sort of stuff yet, but we'll obviously be back around trade week and then into the draft. Um, but we might have a little break after this Tuesday until that comes up. But look, from everyone at Crowcast, I, I can't thank enough the people that have supported us on uh, Patreon, uh, the people that have got around our community on Discord, on YouTube. Make sure you continue to tell your mates uh, about our YouTube channel. We're sort of creeping up there. I'd love to uh, get it to a 1,000 subs by sometime next year so we can start um, getting a bit of a community going around our YouTube channel as well. Lots of things planned, of course. Half of them probably won't happen because I always run out of time. My ambitions are greater than my abilities, Macca, but uh, that's what my first two wives said as well. (laughs) You mean married three times, mate? Twice. Oh, you're counting the current one. I haven't got a current one. 
has a partner. I've got oh. a partner, but uh, yeah, none of this wife bullshit. Uh, anyway. All right, look, so from everyone at Crowcastle Weekend Wrap, uh, thank you, everyone, and we will see you uh, at some stage in 2022. And until then, uh, we'll talk to most of you on Tuesday night. Good night, guys. Yeah. Good night, Good night all. all.